0: Welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Rumble, YouTube, all kinds of places to look for us. Please like and subscribe on any of them or all of them. We also love interacting with our audience, so join us on all the social platforms such as LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and many more. Hello hello welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh we have a guest again today. Uh, my brother Jason Guido's has decided to join us. Uh today we are we are going to just uh, I'm going to throw an idea at him and then we are going to just follow it down the rabbit hole. Obviously as a uh, a a podcast that's uh, trying to look from therapeutic content. Uh, please keep in mind that's my angle. That does not necessarily mean that that would be my brother's angle. And um, so we, this this really could go a lot of different directions. I want to I want to throw a line at you. And I, this is something that I've been wrestling with Jason for uh, for a while. And it, it's been coming up. It's been more prevalent lately. And that is this whole concept um you know in our hometown in portland in oregon uh, which is our hometown for those of you who don't know there was this this thing that happened in the i think it was in the 90s they 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 started down this path of keep it weird um and that got well that got really really weird and that was kind of the birth of this idea so it's it's been it's been stewing for a long time off and on but the concept is this i i have a feeling uh, from a social science perspective, the more unique you are, or at least try to be, the more ordinary you actually become. So the more unique you try to be, the more ordinary you become. What is, uh, you know, just talk to me about that that idea. What, what comes to you first? Uh,
1: social conformity and and that is if you let's say you're looking at a a school of fish uh sardines or something mm-hmm. one of them or two of them in the front turn and then they all turn and then they turn again and then they all turn and so i look at it kind i guess my gut reaction to that is that if you're trying to be unique everyone else recognizes that your uniqueness stands out and so they, in turn, want to be unique like you. And so everyone then becomes unique. And so therefore they are not.
0: Okay, um, beautiful analogy. I I actually very much like it, and I, I see that. So then, if if uniqueness is what, well, why are we going for unique? Like, what's the motivation behind that? <laughs>
1: Um, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. I think, uh, be, because my personal feeling on it is I, I don't really care. Like I, I am unique because I am, I don't need to try to be unique. There are no other me's, there are no other you's. So you are you. And why do you need to try to be more than you? That doesn't, it doesn't feel right to me. So I don't, I don't really Like it, but I think if I were to make a, a guess, it's, you don't want to be alone. You don't want to be isolated. And so if you're unique, then you get attention and that tension, that attention might be, um, sought after. And so it's a way to socialize it. Even if you're not social, you maintain that social relationship with others. That's just me taking a stab at it. Whoa. Okay. So you just opened up
0: Pandora's box for me. Cause like uh, the the clinical lens to that is the, this inherent need to belong, right? This tribal uh, nature of, of being relational, uh, you know, that that's one thing, but then you also simultaneously opened up this attachment thing, the idea of being pursued, wanted or needed. Is, is something that, that creates the bond. Uh, for instance, a, a, an infant, a baby uh, in the arms of their parent for the first, I don't know, oftentimes month, two months, three months even, there's no mirroring going on. There's literally like burping, pooping, uh, eating, and crying it, there's not there's not a, a a smile there's not a i'm going to wink at you there's there like there's there's none of that social affect going on it is purely need they need to be uh taken care of and then right about the time that a parent is like n- metaphorically not literally wanting to kill their baby <laughs> Right at that moment, all of a sudden, the baby smiles. Now, we know, according to the mirroring affect of the brain, that the baby is mimicking behavior, right? It's because so many people have smiled at the baby. And we know that because of things like uh, the, the, the handshake being backwards, right? For those of you who are on Rumble or YouTube, you might have seen my hand for a second. I was... Not thinking very clearly that you know anyway, um, but the the idea is they think it's supposed to look a certain way, and so they make theirs look the same as the one that they see. That's a mirroring. The brain is starting to connect the the de- the desire to be social and attached and tribal to the you know the the uh, receiving of needs, right? Food water, shelter, you know, air, stuff like that. So let's unpack that a little bit. The The whole tribal thing, the, the need to belong. What are you, what are you thinking? What's your thinking on being the, the need to belong?
1: I mean, it's a, it's a, I think it's a social. Uh, it's a fact that we belong to a community. When, and so the need to fit within that community is, I mean, it might, uh, as you develop cognitively, it might become one of the more, uh, primary needs. Um, after obviously you need food, shelter, water, all that, all that. But after that, it's, it's that the, the belonging to a community that becomes that, that thing. And then your role within that, so that uh, social, uh, what do you call it, social hierarchy, whatever you want to, like, you have a, you have a role within that. And so you're, you're, you're constantly seeking out what that role is. And so I think, okay, so my, I think your, your initial uniqueness is in your attempts and maybe in your failures to, to try to find what roles you fit within. And, and so that, that happens, I guess, when you're young, when you are pretending or playing a game of some sort and you, you figure out, okay, I can be the, the, the one that tries really hard and, and succeeds most of the time. I'm the one that tries really hard, but I'm terrible. And I'm the one that I, I'm the cheerleader. I'm the, I'm the one that's like, okay, I can tell that I'm just not going to keep up. And so I'm going to root for you. Right. And then I'm going to be the disruptor. I'm going to be the one that like changes the rules in the middle of the game just to see what happens. Right. And so you're the scientist or the experimenter or just the disrupt, whatever it is. Right. And so you're trying all these things to find these roles and, uh and where you fit. And so your uniqueness, I think starts there. And then, and then becomes something later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Okay, so I, I'm in a rabbit hole a tiny bit. I, I I think it's connected enough that I'm not going to lose people on this. Um, but it, there's in the in the therapy world, and I, I wish I had the the reference in front of me. Um, but there there was a study done on babies. And there, you you talked about the you know, the basically you I don't know if you meant to but you were talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? you know, and how that tribal nature that 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 need to belong is is core and fundamental kind of bottom layer of the uh, the pyramid, mm-hmm. and it, uh, that's interesting because we've learned something by failure, um, which is often how we learn things. There was an experiment done. Uh, and I read this, I actually got to read this, this actual experiment uh, that was done. And I, I wish I had it in front of me, but uh, the there was uh, an orphanage and they they had been struggling to get the babies to attach to their new families when they got adopted out. And so what they did was they said, Okay, let's do some research and find out more about this attachment stuff. And one of the things that they attempted, and they, you know, their intention was not bad, but what they did was they said, okay, all of the caretakers are not going to touch the children. There's going to be no physical contact. They use gloves when they're changing diapers, you know, but they, they made sure the temperature, they made sure the babies had food and water, like everything that they needed because they were, they were infants and they were in their little cribs. They weren't out wandering around. So it was relatively easy to create a non-touch environment. And at first they were like, we're going to find out if that helps them when they get adopted, because then their adoptive family is the first one to physically touch them. And so that idea isn't bad. Like the idea of like, let's figure that out. Um, unfortunately, what ended up happening is uh, pretty quickly, they discovered that the babies were not thriving. And then um, next thing you know, I, I don't remember how many uh babies died, but babies started dying, even though all of their needs, technically biological needs were being met, like all of their biological needs were met, and yet they were still dying. And this has been uh, something that has been studied when people are, say, like held captive in closets. and And what we know is that it stunts growth and creates the higher risk of premature death. Right. Mm -hmm. So that what that says to me is as a, as a a clinical person is if we don't love or don't have love, if we don't have love, uh, we begin to die means love is Mm -hmm. fundamental. It is like air, right? Air, you know, you don't have air for 10 minutes, you're gone. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't have food. You could live without food for several weeks and it's really uncomfortable, but you're still not dead after several weeks, go a month or more and you're probably dying. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's different capacities to, uh, to survive. Love, you know, you could live years without love before you die, but you're going to die prematurely. We know that. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I I thought that was interesting. What are your thoughts? Have you ever heard of that study actually?
1: No, not that one specifically. I know uh, just in, so it's, it's equivalent sort of, but it's like, uh, my time as uh, law enforcement and then in the military, uh, social isolation is one of the worst Mm -hmm. forms of punishment. You can do a lot of torture type stuff, let's say. and. you know, if you've read, uh, about McCain's story, Vietnam, Hanoi Hilton, mm-hmm. uh, it's the, the isolation is, is, is very consistent. That's the worst part of all of that. They, they had their arms broken. They had other things, right? But when you're a POW, um, it's those weeks where there's no contact. You've been separated from everyone, even your captives. And, and, and that's terrible. And then as a, um, you know, as a prisoner, if you get solitary confinement, it's the worst. It's the worst form. You'd you would rather pick, you know, 20 hours of hard labor over isolation. It's not mm-hmm. it's not good. That the community interaction, um even and I and I hate to say it, but even if it's a negative in a way, is mm-hmm. still community. And that isolation is 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 the worst. And I'm not saying that to down downgrade uh, you know, negative behavior or negative circumstances that, that is beyond your control, that is inflicted by someone else. What I'm saying is that it's, it's really bad to not be a part of the community. And in in ancient times, uh, the, it was a guaranteed death. If you, if, if you did something that, that sh- uh w- brought shame on your community and you were, uh, you were told to leave, you had to leave, you, you could survive physically. You could fish, you could hunt, you could do all of that stuff, but you had to deal with that isolation and that isolation is what killed them more Mm -hmm. than anything. So,
0: yeah. From a social science perspective, there's, there's a many social science folks out there. Um, and I'm, I I think I probably fit into the category for the most part that believe that, you know, social isolation like that, um, is, is inhumane, right? Like there's, you know, the, the, the idea of uh, isolating even an inmate isolating an inmate is, you know, it, it needs to be a temporary de-escalation isolation, not a, you know, 24 hour, 48 hour, you know, one week, it, you know, it's like, let's get to where the emotions have a chance to come down and mm-hmm. then Uh, you know, then we talk about reintroducing them in a healthy way, if possible. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And see if see if that helps, because the isolation, it can, there's, and it depends on who it is, too, right? Some people, uh, they need, you know, they need two hours to decompress. Some people need 10 minutes to decompress, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's a different capacity for, for different people, um, which I've talked a ton about in the emotional regulation stuff that I've done. and so that inhumane nature is, is there when it's being forced upon somebody. Uh, let's, let, but yeah, let's yeah, rabbit yeah. trail from there. Cause I got, I got another one then. What about this new thing that's happening? You know, I, I know we started with uniqueness and, and, you know, or, you know, becoming ordinary, but this is, this is an intriguing sort of segue for me. What about this self-isolation? Self-isolation? Self isolation. Man, I'm like throwing in this. This is the second time you, I know <laughs> I can cool, hear though. myself saying it too. And I'm like, uh, I use these words all the time, but it's yeah. just, you know, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. happens? So it's self isolation. What do we, what, what about that? Cause that's. I believe, and I haven't done the research on it, but I believe that's getting more common, right? We're seeing more depression, more anxiety. People are pulling back. And, you know, specifically around uh, what happened with COVID, people really reeled back and they isolated because they were told they had to. And now they're doing it because they think they want to.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This this part is a, a, a rabbit hole. So there's there's a couple thoughts for me. Um one is is I I'm naturally an introvert and so being alone is stimulating to me. However, I'm I'm also I also realize the importance of community, right? And so being alone by choice is I know that it's temporary. And so that's why it works for me. Uh and so I I can handle those times alone and they can be extended, um, but they can't be forever for sure. They're, they're just, it, it doesn't work. So, okay. So the self-isolation, my, so I think it was maybe seven or eight years ago, there was this idea that you could, you you wrote like a one page deal and you send it to space and it's something that describes to, you know, 2015 to anyone who discovers this sort of like, what is it? Time capsule? Like we would bury it. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we buried it in space, right? Uh, mine didn't get chosen, but my, the essence of what I wrote was this development of social media and, and how that at no time in history, have we ever been so connected yet? So alone. Uh, and, and that's what I wrote my paper about. I was like, social media, it, it seemingly connects us to more and more people, but we're still more, we're, we are more isolated and more alone than we've ever been in the world because most of us don't know our neighbors. Most of us don't know our neighbors, pets. Most of us don't even say hi to our neighbor. And I, I, I was living kind of in a city at that point And, and it's a hundred percent true. Like you just don't know. I, I couldn't name my neighbors. And mm and and that's kind of sad when you think about it right and i'm not saying everyone's like that but uh i would say the vast majority of people are like that right so this self isolation is something we've been doing for longer than just maybe you know the last year or two or since covid uh yeah. it's it's been growing because we think that we can be connected because we're connected online uh, or no, nah, i just did it <laughs> Yeah,
0: because, it's contagious that's awesome
1: <laughs> because we're connected online and so we think we have connections but they're meaningless meaningful connections are in person meaningful connections are are face to face and yeah. and so i i have serious problems with it serious yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. okay it reminds me i've got it, there's two things that came up for me uh, as you were talking about that one is uh, almost every person that I have experienced who has been fighting depression uses something along these lines at some point in our time together. This idea of I can be alone in a crowd of 10,000 people. It's that idea that even though they're there, that they are In the mix, they are socializing because they know they just got to keep pushing through because that's part of the, you know, the cure for depression is really, you got to just keep taking steps, take Mm -hmm. steps, take steps, take steps. And eventually that connection becomes felt again, right? That's, That's unfortunately just one of the hard parts of depression when, when people are dealing with it, but that concept of, I can be alone, like feel completely alone in a crowd of 10,000 people. I I have this vision in my mind of, you know, being at like a baseball game or a football game and you're standing surrounded by thousands and thousands of people and you're going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. But inside you don't feel it. Like you're Mm -hmm. like, I, you know, I'm doing it because they're doing it. I'm like, It's almost like that initial analogy of you know the fish turned, so I just turned, (laughs) right? You know, it's like
1: turned, so I turned. There's
0: one leader, and then the rest of us are
1: just
0: like you know, like here we go. I'm going this way. I'm going like. And I, you know, I, I, I mean, I think that's probably a bit of an exaggeration. I, I think our uniqueness is is too important and too valuable to think that there is truly one leader. I think there's right. a. A, a leader for a given time. I think that can be true. Uh, but then, uh, you know, that time passes and then that leader is no longer the best viable option, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's, there needs to be somebody else who comes along and takes the torch from there to the next stop. So that's one piece, um, that, that idea of loneliness. And then the other thing I, that, that came to my mind, have you ever read the book quiet? It's, uh, it's the, 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 power of introverts Mm-mm. or the, yeah, I oh, think it's
1: no, I haven't, but I think I, I think I've been told about it before.
0: I've probably talked to you about it. It's Maybe. really good. It's um, you know, I, I, I occasionally like to mention things like that because you know, my audience, you know, if somebody who's an introvert, here's, here's the the gist of that. This is kind of a funny thing. We don't really think this uh, because it seems counterintuitive but our leaders, our CEOs—I um, I don't. There was a statistic in that book, but it was—it was something like two-thirds of all the, the the CEOs of major, you know, Fortune, you know, 500 companies, like these, you know, the these people who lead our world uh, in terms of business, at least. There, two. I think it's around two-thirds. I don't remember. I, that, I could just be making that part up. But it's a lot are actually introverts. That have learned how to use their extrovert uh, uh, moments in ways that are good and healthy, but then they go back to that introvert. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit, I'm gonna stew, I'm gonna process. Um, they're, you know, maybe a little slower and more methodical, which goes counter to our cultural narrative that you have to be first every single time. Mm-hmm. Actually, if we follow the evidence, it would suggest that slowing down is often better, more Mm. efficient, more effective. Yep. And so um, I just threw two things at you. Like talk to me about either one of them.
1: Yeah. uh, So with, with regards to kind of how, how a visionary might uh, be, I guess, defined uh, like a CEO or some, Mm -hmm. some uh, leader within the community. Uh, the the visionary has to reflect and has to think and, and go through the process of um, not just like where should a company go, but also what, how does that impact things? Like, and so it, it requires that alone time because if you're too busy, too cluttered with the, the busyness of day-to-day interactions um, or fires, whatever you want to call them, the 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 creativity uh, d- doesn't exist, and so it, you need that uh, amalgamation of of quiet time, the the character the, of of introversion that sort of thrives in that environment, and then uh, and then the, the capacity and the time to actually do it. And uh, what it re- reminds me of is the uh, this little excerpt from a TED talk that Alan Lightman wrote. Um, the, the, I think it's called the art of wasting time. And, and it talks about how, when you're, when you're a kid, you, so, okay. So this would be like a personal story, but when we would go down to the park or the river, you and I, or friends or whatever, um, we were doing nothing. Like we would take fishing line and no pole cuz it happened to be broke that day or whatever and we would throw it in or we would go to the creek the uh, little offshoot and we'd try to catch crawdads uh, or whatever it was that we would do but we were literally doing nothing and we yeah. would talk about well what if we walked across that thing would it break or let's let's get on that tree branch and see how far over the river it actually goes and if you <laughs> fall you just land in the river well that's doing nothing but you know what it is it's it's wasting time in a creative way because mm-hmm. you're, you're discovering the world. And so that's kind of what, when you were talking about, you know, the, the, what is it called alone? No, not alone. What's it called? The, the book, the introversion book. Oh, quiet, quiet. It's mm-hmm. talking about it's, it's those times. Now we could do that alone. And there were times that we did probably, because you're like, I'm just going to go to the other side of the river. Okay. And so we were right. alone for like 20 minutes. Right. But yeah but then we would come back right yeah. together like what did you discover a moss what did you discover lots of ferns okay cool let's go fishing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a
0: in this this fishing one is a funny one because you know we had the rock quarry right by our our yeah. own. And we would go down there. I would go down there a lot, actually, um, probably more than anybody, because people didn't realize that I would just go crawl under the the little bar. And and I would head down to the the pond that was on the left side as we were going down. Yeah. There were no fish there. Like zero, ever. Like never caught a single fish, but I would go down and fish. Yeah. There, I don't think there ever were fish there. I mean, we were in the I middle think- of a rock quarry with no creek, no inlet. It was all just run off from the road.
1: No, I think we did actually catch a fish, but there, when the birds would come, then near the end, right near the end, when, before we moved, I think there were, I think there were some fish and I want to say Brian caught one.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. No, I didn't know that, but like. I believe we know how. I mean, I've learned now how this kind of thing happens. You know, a fish yeah, will pick yeah. it up in the river, and they'll, you know, right, they'll, they'll right. be flying over and they'll drop it in there. And right. if it happens to have eggs, like you know, those things are going to, um, you know, they, you know, come out. And if there's even one more fish, then they can get fertilized. And right, uh, right. Yeah.
1: But your so, point isn't lost though. But your point is that even though you accepted the fact that there was, yeah. probably nothing going to happen because of what you were doing, you were it was still fun because you were doing nothing. Yeah. And you were thinking like your mind was still going, you know, sometimes a hundred miles an hour, sometimes five miles an hour, whatever, who cares? Like you're just, you're doing nothing. And, and I, I'm a big proponent of that. Like there's times where, where I think you just have to do nothing. And, and so I would be sitting, like when I had the business, I'd be sitting in the office, you know, and, it always worried me a little bit the employees would come in and like, what are you doing? Like you're in charge of this place, but you're sitting there doing nothing. Well, that's what it looks like to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not dogging you for what um for thinking that because it's natural to think that, but I promise you, I'm doing a lot right now. I'm, I'm thinking about scheduling and personnel and, and, and families and the students and whatever it is, like it looks like nothing, but it's not nothing. It's a lot, and I'm getting tired sitting here doing what looks like nothing right right <laughs> that's you
0: know, the uh, the the reference you gave at that TED talk you know there was a book I think you're the one who told me about it in praise of wasting time
1: that's what it's called. Yes.
0: The um, the I read that actually, uh, and then I went out and went fishing with a buddy <laughs> on yeah. their on their boat, and it was. Uh, I think I even called you that day and said, "Do you know what I'm doing, dude? Yeah, I am wasting time. Yeah. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. um, but yeah, no, that's it, it's it's a good idea because you, what you talked about, and this is a really key thing. We know that creativity gets lost in busyness. We know that like oh, yeah. just, there's enough, there's enough, uh, research on, uh, on busyness to tell us all kinds of stuff. And one of those things is if you're too busy, you lose creativity. And unfortunately, um, that's happening more and more, right? We, we always have something to look at online. Mm-hmm. 100% of the time you could go there and it will try to suck you in and pull you in. And that busyness, uh, it it's taking people who are otherwise creative and just making them busy. Uh, I, I deal with this in, in the counseling world a lot. Like I, I say something like, Hey, let's take out a piece of paper and let's draw, draw are we? Hmm. I, I Pencil paper. What, what are you talking about? I actually have some colored pencils. Thanks. I, I'm going to grab those and get them out. And it like, they're like, colored pencils. Am I in kindergarten? Right. Like, and, and the beauty of it is when a client just says, you know, I mean, I'm in counseling, you think, you know, stuff. And I'm like, I hope I know stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they give it a try. And oftentimes what they find is that it's mindful. Like it's a way of connecting with their inner being, their head, their heart and their soul. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, you know, that like things like journaling do similar. And so (laughs) the, the interesting part to me there is once we open up that box of creativity, again, Mm -hmm. people go, Oh, I want that. Like I get these, you know, the vast majority of people, when I take them through an experience of sorts Mm -hmm. by doing something like that. They're like, I want more of that. Um, it could be storytelling, it could be all kinds of things, mm-hmm. And music mindfulness, something that just says, let's go in to you. Let's mm-hmm. figure you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they they do, and then you know, they're like, I can't believe that was that was so effective and stuff like that. Okay, I um, got
1: yeah, I got, I got a question for you. So then what do you do with the people that are are busy, right? Um, filling their time but they're masking it as what they call productivity like they mm-hmm. always have to be productive if they're not being productive then they're wasting time and they'll even they'll even count their social media time as productive they're maintaining connections or whatever it is how how do you deal with that one
0: mm-hmm. So uh, you're, you're a business guy. You probably know this as well, or better than me, even. Um, but you know the law of diminished return, right? Mm-hmm. There comes a point in which the cost-benefit analysis just doesn't it doesn't line up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, an employee works say uh, 40 hours, and you get uh, you know a, a specific amount of productivity. And then you add five hours, and you get more productivity. Then you add five hours and you get more productivity. But there comes a point, maybe around the 50 to 60 hour mark. And for some, even it's depending on their profession, maybe around 30 hours, mm-hmm. that the the return on the, in a, in the investment is diminished to the point that it is, it's actually uh counter the productivity. It mm-hmm. it can sometimes make them less productive. For instance, if a person knows they're gonna have to work 60 hours. They may pace themselves differently at hour number one through 40. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you then end up with uh the same productivity at our 60 that you could have gotten if they had only worked 40. But now they're there for 60, and you have to pay them for 60. And that's mm-hmm. that's a problem, right? So finding that sweet spot, you know, that law of diminished return, that idea that you you know you can you can actually do worse by convincing yourself you're doing better, so we would explore stuff like that and just say, "Okay, so at what point do you become less effective and what are those and we look for triggers we look for those those uh and and a lot of times it's that self exploration stuff right mm-hmm. a person they they go, "You know, I did notice that I need you know after four hours of work, I take a lunch and then I come back." And then I've really only got like two hours of really good work. And then I need a break. Something happens there Mm -hmm. and I need a break. And if I take 30 minutes, I can do two more hours of productive. But if I take five minutes, then I sort of limp along the last couple of hours right. and just, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm, you know, and, and people can then start to identify those, uh, individual traits because it's unique to each of us, right? Yours are probably different than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, mine are different than my wife's and stuff like that. And so we try to then pinpoint what are those signals that you're not going to get your best out of it. And not only not your best, but it's actually not going to be productive. Um, yeah. Phones are that way as well.
1: Phones are awful, but <laughs> they're so convenient. Um, it, I just, every time I look at it and <laughs> this is a weird tangent, but I, obviously I'm getting a little bit older. And so my eyes like aren't as good. So I mm-hmm. can't look at my phone for as long. And I'm super glad about that. <laughs> like, cause uh, I have to look for glasses. I'm like, crap, I can't, I don't know where they are. Oh, well, I guess it's not important. So I just set it down. Because it's, and I don't even like, like I've said before, I don't have social media. I don't have a bunch of things on there that waste my time, but I do like to read the news and I like to check the weather and things like that. And, um, or I'll catch up on, on email, but there's people that spend five, six hours a day, easy and more on their phone. If you're younger, you seven, eight hours. I'm like, yo, I mean, okay. In praise of wasting time is one thing. In praise of wasting time on your phone is another, like, those are not the same thing because wasting time in, in, from the book's perspective is you're, you're out in the world, wasting time with yourself, not connected. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like,
0: uh, well, well, one of them we convince ourselves is not a waste of time.
1: Like Like we convince ourselves that
0: our, our phone is productive. Like I, I fall into that category from time to time, running a small business and doing this podcast. There are times where I'm in there trying to post stuff because I want to do regular posts. It's important, right? I want to be consistent so that people who come and find me can, can say, oh, well, that's what this guy is about. And he's just trying to be helpful. Like I want them to get that clear picture. And so I post routinely, um, oftentimes more, more often than not, I'm posting things on social media five days a week. It takes me, you know, depends, but typically around 30 minutes or so to get all of my posts in, right. You know, that's getting the first one done and then cutting and pasting different things and making sure the link is there and, and then making sure people can find it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I go through all of that and I call that productive. But you, as my brother and the audience, I, I've, I've said it a few times, how much do I make monetarily doing my podcast? So far, in over a year, I make zero. Matter of fact, I even lose money because I'm giving my time and I have to pay for things like, I don't know, Zoom or uh I don't know what else I pay for a uh, pod bean, you know, I'm doing all of these things. I bought all this equipment so that my sound quality is good. Now I like it because at the end of the day, my agenda is to help at least one person.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: want at least one person because, you know, if I spend 10,000 hours and I, you know, and something that I say that's good and healthy helps one person save their life.
1: It mm-hmm. was
0: one hundred percent worth it, even if I never know it. Mm-hmm. And I learned that doing, you know, all of my crisis treatment kind of care. You mm-hmm. know, it, I, I'm not going in to save them all. I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm going in to save one, and if I save one, I go in to save that next one, and then the next one. And and not because I am, you know, I'm I'm the savior, but because they deserve the help. Period. Right, and, and the so pe-
1: and the people you think you help or I'm sorry, the people you think you don't help, they might remember it in 10 years and they help themselves. At that That's, point. Right. That's
0: right. That's right. That kind of stuff happens. And so for me, it's that whole, I want to send out the right ripple. And to me, the podcast is one of those. Um, but yeah, you know, that I still can get to the point where I'm justifying spending a more exorbitant amount of time on social media than I can, right. Right. you know, I, and, and, when I look at the numbers, I actually just turned on, on, on our phones, we have this, this ability to track our time and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just turned it on like last week because I was telling somebody else about it and I had it had it set up for my kids, but I didn't realize mine wasn't on. Cause I just never looked. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to keep track of that kind of stuff for a little while and see like how much time am I actually, I I'm pretty sure it's like 30 minutes or so a day. But what if it's more than that?
1: I bet like, it's more. If- I bet it's more. Right, I'll, I'll pull mine up real time and see. Because it, it it weirded me out. Uh, let's see. So we like go here. That's screen time. So my daily average. Oh, it's updating. Give me a second. Uh, there it is. Okay, cool. So then you can go to see all activity. My average is two hours and 12 minutes. And then if I look at what the time is, oh, okay. There's a trick to this because it looks like about, about an hour of it roughly each week is my kids on my phone with a game. So I'm about, about an hour to an hour and a half. It looks like.
0: That's interesting. Okay. So I I can only, I literally just set it up, but I can tell you um, that this week in like four days, five days, something like that. It looks like it's tracking four days. uh, It's uh, an hour and a half of (laughs) my, of my three hours being tracked is messages those uh, are all business pretty much, yeah, Or yeah, yeah. you know, like you or, uh, uncle Roger or something like that. Right. Right. I right. Think it's, uh, that is, that is the, the largest. And then, uh, I have over an hour in my Bible app. So I, that puts me at an hour, uh, on social media and different sites. I, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out, yeah, uh, that's how it plays out. early data. I bet you with know, your old job, moved. it was more. Oh yeah, for sure.
1: Cause I, you were I, stuck to that thing. Cause it ha- always had to be in contact with everyone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary because if you, even if you're an hour, that's roughly 4% of your day. Right. Yeah. Once you hit the two hour mark, you're looking at close to 10% of your day. You know, I,
0: I wish you, you know, maybe, maybe that's a takeaway for our audience here, right? Like I Track your time, find out what the heck you are <laughs> actually doing. Just find out. Don't be scared of it. Just just find out because there does come a point at which your return on investment is a negative. You're getting yeah. less than it's worth. And, you know, I would say a good chunk, even of my time on social media that I just went over, there's a good chunk of that that was probably a wasted time.
1: I bet. And here I'll bring it back to uniqueness because your time spent online is, is the conformity that we started this discussion with. You're not unique online. You're, you're exactly conforming to by trying to be unique online. You're conforming perfectly to everyone else who's online. There is no uniqueness. Online. Yeah. So perfect, perfect summary. Like, let, let's, let,
0: let's, uh, let, let me just add one piece to that. Cause like, I love that, where that's going. The, here's the summary from my vantage point as a therapist. None of them, none of my clients, not one of them, and not one of the audience members out here listening to us has to try to be unique. It takes zero effort to be unique. Being authentic is your uniqueness. You don't have to be anything but who you are. I've said this before. If if a person tries to be unique, they uh they they actually lose track oftentimes of who they are and in doing that they lose their uniqueness. Their gifts are no longer being given to the world. What they think their gifts are or what they're trying to project is being given to the world, but it may not be who they actually are, which is what the world needs, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Good. Let's go. Let's go ahead and let's let's do this. Let's wrap up right there. People have some stuff to chew on. I I thought this was interesting. I actually didn't expect it to go where it went again. Um, But that is the nature of doing this. And so, um, you know, for those of you who are out there in the uh, rumble world and in the YouTube world and watching, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, For those of you on the podcast, you should get my matter of fact, I little side note i am now figuring out how to put the uh the whole you know advertise where you can find us on both formats so rumble and youtube you should be getting that as well thank you all so much for joining us and have a great day thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the show Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.